Welcome everybody to the Health and Wellness Show. Uh, today is April 1st, 2016. So April Fool's, we're not going to have a show. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Thanks Bye. for calling. April Fool's. <laughs> <laughs> so um, joining me today in our uh, virtual studio here from all over the planet, and we are uh, scattered over the planet today, uh, Doug, Erica, Tiffany, uh, Gabby, and Elliot. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi. So um, let's see. Today's topic is connecting the don'ts and what you can do. So we have a little little pun there on connecting the dots. So um, we settled on that title because when we were talking about what we were going to talk about today, um, it seemed like a lot of it was a lot of it was uh, things that you don't want to do. And it just kind of uh, seemed like a natural thing. Um, but uh, we have uh, uh, the the don'ts that we are going to connect are kind of all over the place. And we just wanted to go over some of the items in recent health news, um, talking about uh, vaccines, GMOs, uh, environmental issues, um, and issues with medicine and the government. And then we have some detox stuff that we'll go over a little bit later. But um, I think since we had brought it up while we were talking here before the show, let's start off with a discussion about this recent uh, development in Uganda, um, which is, is pretty uh, shocking. I guess shocking, you know, it's not really surprising, um, which, which is kind of sad in and of itself. But um, Uganda has passed a new law this month targeting parents who refuse to vaccinate their children. Um, this article that's on SOT here says that anti-vaxxers could face up to six months in prison in the Central African nation of Uganda after claims by the health minister and others that a growing religious cult is preventing parents from having their children immunized. Um, so I don't know what do you guys think about this. I mean, do you think that it's the, the people that have formed this uh, this group are 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 kind of in the in the right state of mind? I'm I'm of two minds about it. I mean. I think that it's uh, it's said that a group needs to be formed, you know, to help people kind of fight the vaccination craze. But at the same time, you know, I'm not entirely sure that they're going about it the right way. Um, they certainly have raised the ire of the government, which is going to cause problems for anybody. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what what do you guys think. Well, you definitely don't want to be living in Uganda right now. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, six years in prison, not six months. Not six is, months. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think maybe they're using Uganda kind of as a test case just to see how this whole anti-vaxxer go to jail thing might play out once they start mm-hmm. to implement it on a worldwide scale. I don't know, but it's crazy. Yeah. Well, Tiff, you were saying that you couldn't actually find very much information about this group. Yeah, the 666 group, the only reference I could find was what the Minister of Health of Uganda actually said. I don't see, like, any web presence for them when I searched. So Mm. I don't know if that's made up or there's actually a group called the 666 telling people not to vaccinate in Uganda. It's kind of a bizarrely chosen name for their group. Yeah, why would they pick that? Yeah, yeah, that's very strange. What kind of what kind of self-respecting group will call it stuff like that? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it all kind it all kind of smells a little bit fishy. Um, mm. 
perhaps what what they've actually done is maybe there is no group called 666 mm-hmm. and perhaps this is a like a ploy by the authorities to paint paint anyone who doesn't want to get a vaccine as part of this weird religious cult and yeah. i mean with the name 666 <laughs> I, I i think that uganda is traditionally a christian country mm-hmm. um so i mean that it i don't know it smells a little bit funny to be honest yeah like they're trying to yeah, scare no. people away stay away exactly. from this yeah. group they're a bunch of religious satanic nut jobs yeah. Well, it's it's really similar to what you see happening in uh, in in North America too, where the the an, like the the anti vaxxers in quotes are there's like you know they're nut jobs or people who get all their information from you know spurious in, internet articles and like that they really you know there's the it's not it's a not a very educated group. So the idea that that anybody who could possibly be against the idea of vaccination must be you know either a religious cult or an idiot. Well, they're also going to deny kids being able to go to school because their immunization cards aren't going to be up to date. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in a lot of you know, African nations where education is super, super important in order to pull yourself out of abject poverty. I mean, mm-hmm. this is really going to be a big blow to people. Not that I'm an advocate of formalized education, <laughs> but <laughs> you got to yeah. take what you can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, also how the the article said that that uh, uh, parents were hiding their children in slums to prevent them from receiving the shots, like mm. uh, you know that you would hide your kids away in a slum. I'm mean, just the terminology mm. that the minister used, you know, to describe it, it's it's all that weird wording. Yeah, I mean, what does that even mean? I don't know much about Uganda, but I assume that a lot of it is pretty impoverished and thereby a slum. So how are you are you hiding your kids in your own house? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't know anything about the, the economic situation in Uganda, but I assume it's pretty bad. It is strange. I think, Elliot, you had a good point there, you know, especially given the fact that we can't really find any other information on this group, um, that it's certainly at, at the very least a possibility um, that it could be, you know, a, um, uh, I don't know, what would you call this a, uh, essentially a disinfo campaign, you know, setting up like a, a straw man organization um, that they can go after that, uh you know, that is labeled as, as evil and, and demonized and, and called a cult. And then, you know, of course, anybody who, who is against vaccines in Uganda now can be claimed to be a part of this group. Well, the article said there's an estimated 10,000 members as of 2014. <laughs> so are those members just parents that are, you know, concerned? Yeah. Yeah. They just get grouped have- into that membership, even though they're not necessarily part of any kind of a official organization. Right. And it said like that a- only, yeah, 3% of the country's children don't have the required va- vaccination. So, again, it's such a low percentage. Why all the yeah. media attention? I know. Uganda, that's, that's one of the countries thing. where uh, Bill Gates and his ilk are doing a lot of vaccine campaigns. I know that's the place where they wanted to test the GMO bananas. So they have a lot of uh, Western agencies in there already. So can you blame these people for being a little suspicious and 
all the campaigns no. <laughs> in Africa that are killing people. Those guys are like guinea pigs. Yeah. I swear in Africa, where, you know, like Western agencies and organizations and like people like the Bill and Melinda uh, Foundation, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, they, they treat the Africans like they're, they are literally test subjects. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have to go through any sort of um, official procedures or anything like that. They basically just dump these chemicals throughout the whole of the nation and then, uh, yeah, I guess I guess they're just like guinea pigs. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Wait to see what happens. Is India and a lot of other like more third world countries? They just go in. They don't get con- informed consent from the parents. They don't disclose everything, and you know they kind of bribe them with a little bit of money and you know treat their kids as guinea pigs. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the third world, they can do all that. And then they can um, export all that research, in quotes, the third world, to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me, actually, of that article you wrote, Gabby, about uh, the HPV vaccine yeah. trials um, in uh, Costa Rica. Yes, it's exactly that. That It was Costa Rica. There was also Argentina, where they tested, like, 15,000 vaccines and... Um, several dozen, uh, 18 children died and there were babies and they can get away with absolutely anything and then they can submit their research in quotes to the FDA and they will just approve it and there you go, the rest of the world will have the same treatment. It's unbelievable. They just completely take advantage of the people's economic situation, um, their lack of education, and their lack of ability to speak out against these um, these types of things. You know, it's they're just they're completely taken advantage of. Yeah, there is no yeah, informed consent. On the contrary, it is, it is like um, it is like shown like this advanced you know treatment, and we're here to help you, and well, you know how it goes. <laughs> Well, it's yeah. like it's just show, it goes to show how, you know, they have to do all this in the shadows, right? Like they can't do it in a legit way. And it's like, well, why is that? You know, you really, it, you know, it, it just gets me so frustrated that people don't kind of look at this in, in the light that it, it kind of requires, you know, that you, that anybody who has to conduct all this research in the shadows like this, it's because there's something fishy about it. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't, this isn't legit. If it was legit, you know, they'd be doing controlled trials in, you know, uh, countries with complete transparency. It it just, it, you know, it, it, it makes, you know, if you connect the dots just a little bit, it should raise your suspicion. It is actually a good sign that there is so much dissent in Uganda. Like people cannot really be suspicious enough. Like what I found out in Costa Rica and Argentina is like, you, you know, people just went away, you know. Uh, went along with it. But if you hear, you know, in this news item in Uganda, there are a lot of people that are actually, like, hiding away. They don't want to get vaccinated. It's actually a very good sign. Yeah. It's interesting the BBC carried it, too. And as we were talking about, you know, the fear-mongering behind it, and then they kind of go into the thing about California, and then and then the, the whole fears to the link to vaccines and autism. 
autism. I mean, it's, it's like the information is so all over the place. It's, it's hard to get a clear read on, on, on the agenda of, of why the article was even published. And then as Tiffany said, the fact that you can't find anything on the net about it, you know, this is suspicious. Sure. One of our chatters, uh, Itelsia, says it sounds like the problems they were having in Brazil with the microcephaly issue, again, poverty and powerlessness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, you know, wherever there is um, extreme poverty and, and a lack of powerlessness of, of the or a, a, an increase in powerlessness of the people, um, then, you know, more shenanigans can, can go on. Mm hmm. Not that there's not shenanigans going on in more developed countries, too. I mean, shenanigans is what they do. (laughs) Shenanigans are us. It's all shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the difference is is that it's it's a little bit more well-cloaked in these countries, whereas these types of individuals, these types of operations, you know, they they don't even bother to pretend – to do anything good in in these third world countries that it's almost like this arrogance they have this arrogance that you know no one's even going to care no one's <laughs> no one's even going to question in those countries so they basically just do whatever they want whereas in the in the first world you know they they cloak it with with all of this jargon and <laughs> and um <laughs> you know like it, Scientific it, it, i think that's yeah. the main difference yeah that's it but in the third world, they just buy health ministers. As the research that I uncovered in Costa Rica show, they just like buy them, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind well, of moves kind of on the... to um, our the, one of the articles about uh, scandal rocking GlaxoSmithKline and how they are uh, handing out bribes in China. Mm. Mm-hmm. So they got fined $490 million for bribing hospitals, doctors, given kickbacks uh, through illegal uh, or through travel agencies and pharmaceutical industry associations so they can get uh, more revenue from their drugs. So they've earned more than $150 million over what they would usually get by doing bribes in China. Yeah, and it's not just in China, right? What did they say? Poland, Romania, the United Arab Emirates, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq, too. Just to name yeah. a few. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and GlaxoSmithKline, uh, we have to remember that it holds the record for paying the highest criminal fine in U.S. history. Three billion, three billion dollars. I forgot. You know, yeah, astronomical figure. <laughs> well, wow. and the funny thing is, they're still they're still at it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that three billion yeah. was obviously just a drop in the bucket for them. It's a cost. Yeah, of doing somebody, somebody did the calculations, and it was just like, no, this is nothing. Like they still have gains. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's like the thing. I think, I think they factor these things into their budget. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, well, you know, we'll make twenty billion from doing this, but then we'll only have to pay three billion. So, you know, you just have to yeah. uh, you have to accept a little bit. Yeah, that's the price of doing business. You have to spend <laughs> money to make money. <laughs> but I have a oh, question God. about GlaxoSmithKline. How can you accidentally dump forty-five liters? Or twelve gallons of live polio into a river. 
<laughs> How does that happen accidentally? Oops. You want to sell vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked you, the, to hear their explanation. They were saying that, oh, it was the region was already highly endemic of polio, so there was low risk of contamination. I yeah. just, that doesn't make any sense. But then they went ahead and they yeah. revaccinated the workers at the plant so if the vaccine yeah. was so effective why they need to vaccinate them twice and okay i don't understand this either like my understanding of vaccines i think i maybe have even gone off on this before on this show but my understanding of vaccines is that you need that in order to prevent being affected because you know you you get the vaccine your body recognizes this uh toxic element and it mounts a response against it. So then if you get exposed in the future, your, your body's already prepared for it. Like that's the theory behind vaccination. So I don't understand why when there's a risk of exposure, they would vaccinate. That doesn't make any sense. Like if you've already been ex- exposed, why, why vaccinate? Like I, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I don't know if it makes any sense on any kind of level, but. <laughs> that that's what they do their response to it is like oh there's a possibility you've been exposed we better vaccinate you it's like how does that make any sense <laughs> it makes sense to them and that's all that matters <laughs> well i think it requires that the people be completely ignorant of what a vaccine actually is like it's not a medication that will get rid of the virus or whatever it is they're vaccinating against it's something that that is supposed to activate your own immune system so that it, it can fight it off on its own so, yeah, it just it doesn't make any sense at all. It, it just drives me nuts that that would be, oh, well, there's a risk of exposure, so we better vaccinate more people. That just it doesn't make sense. Well, like I said, maybe they intentionally did it and then everyone is so freaked out about it that they run out and get a polio vaccine. Yeah, sure. With money. Well, it the, requires the, ignorance, though. Yeah. yeah. And the details about this release are, are actually pretty vague. Um, I mean, if I'm looking at this other article about this actual, you know, quote unquote accident, um, this is human error resulted in the polio virus entering the water supply in Rixensart city, Belgium at a plant manufacturing the polio vaccine. The contaminated water then flowed to a water treatment plant and from there into the Lasney and Dial rivers. Um, you know, and so they, that's, that's the first mention, um, Let's see here. It says the liquid was expelled according to initial information provided by the firm GlaxoSmithKline due to human error during the process of vaccine production. The water from the treatment plant in question is not discharged to the supply network for drinking water. Some media sources report that an employee made a mistake during routine cleaning of a tank at the plant. So, you know, that that's pretty much all the details that we have. I mean, did they take you know, a bunch of the live polio um, virus and just dump it into a drain, in which case they went, then it went to a, to a water treatment plant. You know, was that the accident or they're not, you know, processes in place? You know, was the guy drunk? You know, I don't know. There's no, <laughs> Human there's error. No, yeah. There's, just kind there's of no takes this uh, bottle with a skull and crossbones on it and just dumps it down the drain, I guess. And right. the fact that they can get away with such a feeble explanation like, how trained are we not to question any of these corporations deeply about what they do? <coughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, this harkens back for me to when we had that show about uh, radiation, you know, and we were talking about 
back in the day before a lot of the regulations were in place for radioactive material, they were, you know, in military research plants, they were dumping radioactive water into the drain. And, and people in the facilities were being dosed by radioactive water that was in the pipes and the walls. You know, so it's like this is not necessarily a, uh, a new phenomenon for, for large organizations, government or otherwise, that should be more responsible, yes. being irresponsible. Shouldn't that be part of their safety training, proper disposal? Like, mm, like right. you said, was this guy drunk or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's... And that doesn't seem, you know, that's not necessarily like some some tainted uh, yogurt, you know, or mm. or like a, a few hundred gallons of like pig shit from a farm flowing into a river. <laughs> it's like the live polio virus, you know. Yeah. It's it's a pretty serious deal. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, of course they will, you know, this will drift off into the, uh, the, the, the whited out pages of history. Nobody's going to remember this in, in like a week, you know, let alone a, a year or two. Well, um, yeah. And what if, uh, the polio rates start uh, going up in the surrounding areas? Anybody going to remember to connect those dots? Well, they're right. not going to call it polio. They're going to call it, uh, oh, yeah. paralysis. That's the yeah. new name for polio. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, they'll come up with another name at that point. Yeah, in a couple of years, start looking for uh, acute flaccid paralysis cases in Belgium. Mm. Yeah. What, what's the other one that, forgive me for forgetting this, it starts with an H, I think. There's a disease that, that, that was said that it could be polio just with a different name. Hashimoto's, is that it? No. Right. There's yeah. Guillain-Barre, which is... Uh, That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, Guillain-Barre. Ascending paralysis, which is more common now in the context of the Zika virus. Okay. Well, but yeah, I mean, you know, they, they probably will. Um, you know, they're not, they're not going to have any kind of fine or punishment for this. Uh, and Gabby, you were right. I looked up uh, the list of uh, largest pharmaceutical settlements. GlaxoSmithKline is at the top. 2012, three, $3 billion settlement. Um, next, yeah. we have uh, Pfizer with $2.3 billion, Johnson & Johnson, $2.2 billion, Abbott Labs, $1.5, Eli Lilly, $1.4, um, you know, and it, and it goes down from there. But, you know, there's incredible, incredible numbers uh, here of, of, of money. And it, that, uh, and it is nothing for them, nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, these these companies are all still the top, you know. They're they're all still the elite as far as like corporations go in the world. So it obviously does does absolutely nothing to find these companies. No, Did the even medical get fired mafia. Over it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say, Eric. They were worse than the mafia. Ma- <laughs> yeah. yeah. These are so criminals. another don't you don't want to be a consumer of products made by big pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> no. But no GSK for you. Uh-huh. GSK, they have um, HPV vaccine, by the way. They are the ones who tested the 15,000 babies in Argentina when several died. And they're the most, you know, corrupt, you know, um, Scenarios like without informed consent to the parents, 
Um, there were not records of what they were doing. It's just like, you know, pure criminal behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And how they were given financial incentives, the scientists in the, in the process. So not only are they doing criminal behavior, but they're getting financially rewarded for it. Sounds like the mafia. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, let's, uh, Let's see. Let's talk about another one of our articles here, which, uh, uh, Doug, you had mentioned that you had some familiarity with uh, being in Canada. The uh, this uh, Stefan Stefan family. I don't know how you pronounce it. Stefan. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it either, actually. Yeah, I guess I'll just say Stefan, the Stefan family. Mm. Um, uh, it says here uh, in this report out of Canada. Uh, the tragic death of one family's child is viewed by some as setting a precedent for the extremist pro-vaccine lobby. The Stefan family, leaders in the alternative health field in Canada, face time in prison and the removal of their remaining children for simply refusing to vaccinate their child, who later died in a hospital that failed to save him. The authorities w- uh, want the court to rule that his death was preventable by a simple vaccine, which is something that could never be proven scientifically. Um <clears throat> So four years ago, the Stefan family experienced the tragic death, death of their son, Ezekiel, 18 months old at the time. And now they are being prosecuted by the Canadian government. Uh, it's the outcome of the trial could set a legal precedent that would have the devastating and chilling effect on parental rights. Um, so in the, the Public Health Agency of Canada, which is similar to the CDC in the U.S., has stated... Unlike some countries, immunization is not mandatory in Canada. It cannot be made mandatory because of the Canadian Constitution. Only three provinces have legislation or regulations under their Health Protection Acts to require proof of immunization for school entrance. It must be emphasized that in these three provinces, exceptions are permitted for medical or religious grounds and reasons of conscience. Legislation and regulations must not be interpreted to imply compulsory immunization. So, I mean, but it does uh, sound like that the, you know, depending on how the um, this trial turns out, that, that compulsory immunization could be a result. And, uh, Doug, what were you saying about this that, that you had heard? Um, well, I, actually, I'm, I was surprised at how little I had actually heard about it, oh, especially okay. since uh, this, this family um, is, it, it's the son of uh, the guy who um, created uh, a supplement company, company called True Hope. And I'm familiar with the the supplements because uh, we sell them at the store that I work at, and a lot of people uh, get um, pretty good results out of uh, their their. Um, it, it's a lot of it is um, is geared towards kind of uh, cognitive issues, and mm-hmm. uh, and autism mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And um, you know they they were taken to court at one point for uh, make, making claims about their their supplements, and uh, they actually won. Um, and you know, there's some people saying that this is a this is kind of a a vengeance thing, like by by trying their uh, the son for this stuff. It's kind of like almost like revenge for the fact that they won their case. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very interesting um, because, like you were saying, Jonathan, like the Public Health Agency of Canada has stated that immunization is not mandatory in Canada, nor can it be, as long as the Canadian Constitution is upheld. But, uh, you know, this, this kind of ends up being kind of like a back door. You know, it's like, yeah, well, technically immunization is not mandatory. But if anything happens to your kid who was not immunized, then they can have charges put against them. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of makes it so uh, those who are not uh, immunized have a greater responsibility to seek medical uh, help uh, sooner than what others, um, those who are um, immunized, um, are required to, uh, to, uh, to, to seek out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the whole, the whole case is setting a very, very dangerous precedent. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I find yeah. it. I find it interesting that they're being charged of failing to provide the necessities of life, which is a charge similar to mans- manslaughter. You know, it's like they were not, mm. you know, feeding their baby. They were like neglectful. When when you study the case, it is revealed that it was all the country that you know they were. These are very you know caring parents, and it is actually. Um, the medical system that shows anomalies of failing when they finally decided to take their child to the hospital when the child, you know, uh, when uh, was dangerously sick. So it is interesting that they not only, it's like adding sad to assault to the wound, you know, they're, they're like, you know, it's not only giving parents and caring parents, but they're actually going after them specifically for that. And this is my impression. Yeah, it's not like they didn't take him to the hospital. When they did take him to the hospital, uh, the ambulance that met them on the road because they lived so far away from the hospital wasn't even fully equipped. It didn't even have an intubation tube. So the baby was without oxygen for over eight minutes. And then when they did the autopsy after the baby died, it wasn't even conclusive that he died from meningitis. So Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense. And they say that... You know, the the parents fail to provide the necessities of life. So basically what they're saying is that vaccines are necessities of life. And if you don't provide those, then you will be punished. Yeah, and what what this might do for for the parents who do choose not to vaccinate, um, even if the Constitution remains the same and they are under no sort of legal obligation to get their children vaccinated. What may end up happening is if this case is publicized, um, they may be so fearful that if they don't get their child vaccinated and their child does get sick, even with something like chicken pox, you know, anything like that can be used against parents from this from this point onward. And so this this may very well sort of um, lead to a state where parents are so scared that they're going to be penalized for not getting their child vaccinated that they may just end, end up getting them vaccinated anyway. So mm-hmm. um, this is a really good sort of, um, you know, a good avenue to try and force parents into vaccinating their children against their will, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, guys, we have a caller on the line. Caller, cool. what's your name? Hi, this is Harrison calling in. Hi, Harrison. Hi, hey, Harrison. Hey. Hello. Hi, I just had a, I had a question about this case because um, I haven't read about it, so I'm just getting the details here. Um, so this, this 18-month-old baby allegedly died of meningitis? Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Allegedly, yeah. but now, the autopsy does not say that specifically. Okay, now... What, what are the causes of meningitis? Like, is there like an anti-meningitis vaccine that everyone gets, or what? Yeah, there is one, but it doesn't cover all of the strains of bacterial meningitis. I don't think that there is one that's for viral meningitis, or maybe I have that confused. Okay. I thought it was the other way around that there is okay. one. Yeah. No, there there is there is only bacterial meningitis, a vaccine for bacterial mm-hmm. meningitis. It is only one strain. 
if you have a viral meningitis, there is really nothing you can do. Just like write it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's not even clear what kind of meningitis this kid had. Um, not even clear if he died from it. And yet now that, so now they're saying this kid should have been vaccinated and that's the reason he died. Even though, like you said, that, um, that's impossible to say. Yes. Because even if the kid was vaccinated, he, he, it was, it's still possible that he could have died of meningitis. That is correct. So, okay. Well, thanks for clearing that up. I just wanted that, that cleared (laughs) up because it, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. They're obviously just going after these people to make an example for them. Just to scare everybody else into line. They want to take take their other children away, too, if this goes through. So it's because they what do they have, like five children now? So not only like the manslaughter charge, if they get charged, but then the state will come in and take their other children. That's really frightening. Yeah. And the state does such a good job at raising children. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's, so I think it was like Elliot a, was saying is that fear factor, you know, like if this yeah. is a precedent setting case, then again, parents are going to be super freaked out. And even if they're morally objective against it, they'll do it because they're afraid of losing their children. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the really sad, the really sad thing about this case as well is that the child um, wasn't actually displaying any of the signs of bacterial meningitis. Mm-hmm. Um, he had like cold symptoms, um, slight flu symptoms, sort of aches and pains, but he didn't. Um, he wasn't basically displaying any of the bacterial symptoms for meningitis. And what they said was the symptoms could have been attributed to viral meningitis. Funnily enough, according to the CDC, um, they basically say you can't get any treatment for viral meningitis and most people just get better on their own. So the parents were assuming that this child, if it was meningitis, it would have been viral anyway. And they were told by the CDC that the best thing to do is basically just to rest and stay at home and it should get better by itself. So the parents really weren't doing anything out of the ordinary, you know. They they were simply following the guidelines of the CBC and they're being pe- penalised for this somehow. And, you know, it's it's really depressing to see. Well, and yeah. it's not like they just—it's not like they just let him get sicker and sicker, and then said one day, "Oh, geez, well, we should probably take him to the hospital." You know, they—they they treated him at home, and they brought a nurse into their home um, to avoid bringing him into contact with other children as well. So, you know, they were taking very reasonable measures, and not only that, but there's a part of this article about this case here that says um, <clears throat> they learned uh, later, you know, after this tragic death happened. That while they were on the phone with 911, uh, they had passed within a few hundred yards, quote unquote here, within a few hundred yards of a fully equipped ambulance with two local paramedics that were available for dispatch. That team never got the call. Instead, it was 15 minutes later when they met up with a different ambulance who took Ezekiel to the hospital. Um, and that different ambulance was not fully equipped. So they actually had a fully equipped ambulance just a few hundred yards away from where they were that the dispatch did not contact. If I was them, I would be very suspicious that I would mm. be framed. Yeah. 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 It is very fishy. Well, the whole ambulance yeah. situation, I mean, that is grounds for a lawsuit if the parents mm-hmm. were so inclined to have filed a lawsuit against them. But uh, 
I mean, now that the parents are being sued, that kind of takes the, the focus off of the hospital. Yeah. yeah. I'm not yeah, sure that, said, you know, like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm inclined, you know, to, to see conspiracy where, where most people don't. But at the same time, uh, this seems like a, a general uh, failing of the, of the health system, which they then turned around, you know, after the fact and said, well, it's the parents' fault because they didn't vaccinate for this thing, which we don't even really know that it was the, the cause of the child's death, you know, that, that mm-hmm. they're covering their ass after the fact, essentially. Yes, it took eight months to for them to read the autopsy report. Eight months, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's just unacceptable. Should have been like, you know, within, week, within weeks, like, at the yeah. most. Right. Yeah. And the autopsy report is full of suggestions, completely unscientific, like uh, suggestions of they were not vaccinated, the kid was not vaccinated, and, you know, how can you put that on an autopsy report? It's completely out of, you know, out of the thing at point. It's irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, let's, uh, you know, this is, this is tragic. It certainly deserves... Uh, attention, but we you know, we have limited time, so let's let's move on to some of our other articles here about on the vaccine topic. One I thought was pretty interesting: this uh, journal editor who removed a negative study on Gardasil is a Merck insider. Mm-hmm. So this is as usual. Yeah. So on January 9th, twenty sixteen, a study titled "Behavioral Abnormalities in Young Female Mice Following Administration of Aluminum Adjuvants and the Human Papillomavirus." vaccine Gardasil was published by the journal Vaccine. The study, which had gone through vaccines, uh, extensive peer review process consisted of dividing 76 female mice into four groups and testing the effects of injecting them with the vaccine. The study's findings were not good press for Merck's Gardasil. Um, so the study was conducted by eight scientists at a Tel Aviv, Univ- at Tel Aviv U- University in Israel. Um, However, one month after it was published with revisions, the study was completely withdrawn from the International Journal. Um, so the editor-in-chief who found this, quote-unquote, seriously flawed methodology just so happens to be an industry insider. Hmm. Um, so, I th- you know, I-, I think this is interesting. It's just another uh, example while we're connecting the don'ts here today, um, <laughs> talking about, you know, how how these the the – the industry, the the corporations that you know that supply the industry, the industry itself, and the reviewers and you know quote unquote regulatory agencies. Um, of course, vaccine is is a, is a journal; it's not a regulatory agency. But they have allegedly the responsibility of publishing uh, you know objective scientific data about uh, studies that they conduct. Um, and yet, here we have. Uh, insiders from companies that manufacture the the products, you know, removing the negative studies from the public view. Yes. Yes. This. No, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say this, this particular doctor, uh, his name's Dr. Gregory Poland. And he's said to have um, conducted four studies with direct affiliation to Merck. Um, Mm. So one of those studies um, was a pro- H uh, pro human papillomavirus um, trial in 2005. Um, another one was a two-year randomised control clinical trial 
Um, in two, no, there was one in 2005, which was pro Gardasil. Um, and then he's also acted as a safety monitor, monitor for two other clinical trials um, hmm. of the H- HPV vaccine, and they were all funded by Merck Research Laboratories. So this guy is basically, um, you know, without doubt, acting on behalf of Merck. Um, yes. And, you know... I, <sighs> I mean, how can this guy even be editor in chief of a, you know, of like an international journal? I mean, it just, it's just insane, you know. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the the irony in the in the statement that the uh, that the journal put forward, um, saying that as an international peer reviewed journal, we believe it is our duty to withdraw the article from further circulation and to notify the community of this issue. It's like. You know, just talking about their duty, like what they have a duty to do. It's obvious <laughs> that their duty is to protect the pharmaceutical companies. You know it's what I mean? It's, it's so obvious. How, yeah. How, how can he quote scrupulous methods? Like, that's precisely the thing that he's doing. He's basically researcher uh, for the for the, um, uh, producing the vaccine, you know. He doesn't have any say in this. Mm-hmm. Yet, no. that's what he said. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just so ironic. It's 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 like it's like rubbing salt in the wound. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, not only are we going to re- withdraw this, but we're going to say it's our duty because you know it, it's such a flawed study and it might give the wrong impression. Like, uh it, it, it just it boils the blood. <laughs> so we've been targeted from all single points. You know, the family in Canada. You know, these the. Properly done research. It's been withdrawn by the corporate, by the by the very corporations producing the vaccine. And uh, another example that happened here in Spain. You know, a child died from diphtheria. It's one of those you know strange diseases that don't happen anymore. The child was not vaccinated, so you imagine mm. the scandal. You know, yeah. so they didn't went after the family. They're, they went after the doctors because you can still, you know, if you don't want to vaccinate here in Spain, you don't have to. But they're going against the doctors um, uh, and saying that all doctors that are anti-vaccines, you know, they risk their subscription to the college, to the medical college, uh, you know, to be, you know, removed. So, sure. you know, like we've been targeted from all the single possible grounds. Oh yeah, yeah. They have all kinds of different like ways that they can uh, put their agenda forward. It's really uh, it's so nefarious, and especially when you connect that with the effects that you're seeing from uh, from from getting these vaccinations and stuff. They're just like it's like all these children have a target on them, painted on them, and it's like they these these people are relentless in pursuing hitting that target. It's, it, you know, it, it, especially going back to the whole Uganda thing. I mean, they, they, what was it? 3% is yeah. unvaccinated. Like that is a minuscule amount of the population. But, that is nothing. but they won't let it go. They're just, they're, they're pursuing it with such like ferocity. It's unbelievable. And they're using it to hide their own corruption and, you know, and lack of, you know, and unethical behavior. Because for example, here in Spain, there is treatment for diphtheria. There is a, ta- um, uh, a treatment, and it was not available in one—not in Spain, not in one single country in Europe. It was expired. It was uh, even the treatment was even searched on the on who the whole 
uh, World Health uh, Organization. They didn't have it either. Russia mm. offered, you know, like too late, you know, like we have it, you know, we'll send it. <laughs> and it was too late by then, you know, it's just like, <laughs> and it's the same thing with the, the Canadian family, like the, the thing about the ambulance not even having oxygen or intubation methods, it's just like completely unacceptable or even, you know, a third world health, you know, health system, you know, and yet this is the first world, you know. Yeah, and the way that they're trying to target those individuals who aren't vaccinated um, is there, well, for instance, the World Health Organization are actually starting to employ um, marketing sort of strategies that have been used by popular companies like Coca-Cola and PepsiCo and McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Um, it speaks about this is an article um, posted on SOT and it, it's called World Health Organization Wants to Market Vaccines Like Sodas and Burgers. <laughs> and um, and it's, it starts yes. off talking about how um, the, in August 2015, the World Health Organization basically issued a press release and it was uh, titled Vaccine Hesitancy, A Growing Challenge for Immunization Programs. And so they've come up, they've coined this term called vaccine hesitancy. And they basically, um, it's, it's to describe, um, I guess the state of mind of someone who, who, you know, who's unsure about whether they want to get a vaccine or not. And the way that they define it is, um, is they say concerns about vaccine safety can be linked to vaccine hesitancy, but safety concerns are only one of many factors that drive hesitancy. Vaccine hesitancy can be caused by other factors such as negative beliefs based on myths, e.g. that vaccines, vaccination of women leads to infertility, misinformation, mistrust in the healthcare professional or healthcare system, and the role of influential leaders, costs, geographic barriers, and concerns about vaccine safety. <laughs> so basically, one, they're, they're, they're saying that Believe, uh, they're saying that people who, who are hesitant to have vaccines, their beliefs are based on myths, which one simply isn't true. You know, mm-hmm. um, vaccines have been linked to all sorts and they're basically slating that completely. And what they're doing is they're, um, <laughs> they're basically like coming up with these, uh, these corporate sort of strategies to market, uh, vaccines in new and, um, you know, interesting ways. To try and um, to try and influence as many people as they can, you know, it's it's absurd. Whatever respect, you know, I held, <laughs> it's gone with this. Because how can how can we they expect us to take them seriously when they're going to use like Coca Cola, McDonald's marketing, you know, <laughs> tools yeah. to I don't know. Yeah, how can they make yeah. vaccination sexy? Like they're gonna yeah. sex it up and. <laughs> Put it's like beautiful women choice. getting their getting themselves vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> women in well, the bikinis. Other thing is how they emphasize uh, in in the document, like how it isn't about facts; it's about perception. So you need to, you yeah. need to, to play on emotion more than the actual facts because the facts are irrelevant. It's more of like a lifestyle issue. 
It's like, you know, are you are you somebody who gets vaccinated, a new hip urban individual who, who likes vaccinations? Or are you some <laughs> uh, backward religious retard who gets all their information from, you know, nefarious sources on the Internet? It's, it, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, I, I expect to see these kinds of ads like before movies, just like with, with the sandwich between the Coca-Cola and the McDonald's ad. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a columnist uh, in that article talking about how the World Health Organization Working Group recommended that this fact-free, emotional-laden, Coca-Cola-style <laughs> marketing strategy be urged on the international pro-vaccination lobbies. And then he goes on to say, aided by this keep-it-simple, stupid strategy, who is hopeful that the marketing wizardry that works for the food and beverage giants will help the pro-vaccination movement overcome the public's reluctance to vaccinate. I mean, it is this straight, you know, corporate prostituting. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of, actually? I see these ads on the subway all the time that are for the the birth control pill. And they're so, like, marketing it as, like, you know, a hip, young, independent woman would obviously choose to be on this birth control pill. And, like, it's all – it doesn't – you know, I I just – every time I see it, I want to, like, put a sticker on there saying, you know, uh, birth control pills mess with your hormones and put you through all kinds of uh, terrible uh, problems. So uh, you might want to consider it. While you're, uh, you know, evaluating how your lifestyle uh, fits in with this uh, th- this kind of uh, um, medication. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so not only are they waging war against our bodies, it's like an information war going on. They have mm-hmm. to change the way people think. I mean, if you have to do all of that, like we were talking about before, you have to engage in all this subterfuge to get people to buy into your product. I mean, that tells a lot. Maybe maybe now will be a good time to hear that um, tra- uh, trail for the Vaxxed documentary that was it's actually being aired today for the first time to the public. Yeah. My phone rings, and it's Dr. William Thompson. You and I don't know each other very well. You have a son with autism, and I have great shame now. There's a whistleblower from the CDC who's going to come out and say that the CDC had committed fraud on the MMR study, and that they knew that vaccines were actually causing autism. My oldest son, Ian, was walking and running after the vaccine. He was no longer able to do that. So I called the clinic and I said, I think my child's had adverse reaction to those shots. And then came the head bang, constant banging against anything that he could find. Right now, I'm sitting in a very pretty position in terms of providing you a lot of information. The first thing that Thompson did was to plot a graph. Now, if there's no link between early MMR and autism, those two lines should track together. Now, they do track together until they get to 15 months. Then they separate and they continue to separate thereafter. And they sliced and diced the data in an effort to get rid of that effect. The relative risk of receiving an autism diagnosis was astronomical. Wow. The CDC had known all along there was this MMR autism risk. 
and CDC's judgment the best public policy is to continue vaccination unchanged. You who run our health agencies in this country, you have an obligation to make sure that these studies are complete, thorough, so that we have all the facts. Oh my God, I cannot believe we did what we did. Um, but we did. Omission of crucial data, destruction of documents, misleading the Congress, grievous harm to innocent children. Everything I've been telling my patients for the last 10 years has been based on a lie and a cover-up. Parents should be able to count on federal agencies to tell them the truth. In 1978, the prevalence of autism was about 1 in 15,000 children. If we assume that things are going to continue as they have, we can predict that by 2032, 80% of the boys born will end up on the autism spectrum. Half the children, 80% of the boys. It's a vast number of children who are being diagnosed with autism every day. This is going to be a complete catastrophe if we just let it happen. Now that's the the documentary Vaxed. Uh, that's the one that was recently pulled from what was it, the Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yes. Yeah, somebody got to Robert De Niro. First, he was all for supporting it. Uh, he wanted to open up a dialogue. One of his six kids has autism, so he wanted to show it at the Tribeca Film Festival, and. Uh, he met with some people, and they said something that convinced him to pull the documentary. But now it's being shown in New York City at the Angelica Theater, I think from today mm-hmm. until next week, mm-hmm. so it can still be seen. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of actually had the opposite um, effect that uh, I, I imagine the people who, who had him pull it we're hoping for because it is generating tons of, um, of, of you know, it, it, the whole thing's going viral. Like apparently that screening sold out in like minutes and uh, it like, it's drawing a lot of attention to the documentary. It's like, why don't they want us to see this? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, so by, by pulling it, they probably would have been better just to ignore it. Yeah. yeah. It backfired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And it's, you know, all, all the conspiracies are going crazy now because, uh, like, why, what was said, you know, he seemed rather, you know, um, passionate about it, meaning Robert De Niro, um, who, who is one of the, uh, the organizers of the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, and he mm-hmm. seemed to be really, like, he was even planning on introducing it and giving a speech beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but all of a sudden, he, he uh, you know, backs out. And it's like, well, you know, of course, that's going to light up the internet, like you know, with uh, all kinds of uh, conspiracy theories um, and conspiracy facts, for that matter. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's 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 really um, had kind of a profound effect. I found yeah. it interesting too that he met with uh, Florida Congressman Bill Posey, who's been involved with this whole uh, Thompson CDC release of information. He he let him know that the film was right on target. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that yeah. says a lot for a congressman to actually admit that. Maybe so wonder, we can. Ke- what did yes, they say to him? Robert De Niro, your career is going to be over. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I I'm would. sure it played on all that. <laughs> yeah. Your career will yeah. be over. You'll be smeared. Like you know, for anybody who's in the public eye, like uh, like a movie star is, mm-hmm. you know, they, your your reputation is everything, right? And if for all they have to do is threaten that, and I'm sure they'll, they'll you can get compliance on anything. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it would have to even be as as uh, as intense as you know, like pharmaceutical executives going in there saying, "Look, we're going to tank the Tribeca Film Festival if you show this." I mean, that may have happened, but it probably didn't. It was like you said, probably more like, you know, look at what happened to Jenny McCarthy, and and look at what happened to all mm-hmm. these people. You're you're going to be labeled a nut, you know, and uh, it's just going to be downhill from here. Yeah, there is yeah. Uh, also. There is also an audio, um, an interview with a producer uh, of Vaxxed. It's uh, his name is Del Big Tree, and uh, I think this documentary. Well, a lot of people. I, I'm sure we're all gonna watch it. You know, a lot of people are gonna watch it. <laughs> it's gonna be like a big turning point into this vaccine debate. We're gonna see like you know very concrete. I think changes. I don't know if we have. Eight minutes to hear the the interview and the debate. Yep. We have the audio. Okay, yeah, we see. can go with that. The documentary Vaxxed, from cover-up to catastrophe, is slated to begin an international discussion around vaccine safety and spotlight the high-level corruption within the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. However, that's not all the film has accomplished in its short time in the spotlight. The events occurring during the run-up to the release of this film have been nothing short of historical. Vax was an official selection for Tribeca's 2016 Film Festival, set to be personally introduced by festival co-founder Robert De Niro. Weeks before the 2016 Tribeca Film Festival kickoff, De Niro released a public statement saying that he believes it's critical that all the issues surrounding the causes of autism be openly discussed and examined. Furthermore, he stated, I am only providing the opportunity for a conversation around the issue. During the next 48 hours after De Niro's statements, a dangerously polarized mainstream media in the United States was spotlighted and exposed for all to see. The public endured what can only be called a coordinated attack of widely accusatory and inaccurate news stories attacking De Niro, the Tribeca Film Festival, and the documentary film producers Dr. Andrew Wakefield and Del Bigtree. What was alarming is that not one journalist or media outlet out the prejudiced content had ever viewed the unreleased film. During the 48-hour onslaught of one-sided journalism, Vax producer Del Bigtree was interviewed for a special report by ABC News. Bigtree immediately released his entire uncut version of the ABC interview in which he made the following concise and credible statements. And I looked at the data that the CDC whistleblower was providing to Andy and Brian, and it is the most compelling evidence of fraud I've ever seen in my life. And I realized in that moment that I was looking at probably the biggest story of my lifetime. The world lost one of the greatest scientific minds of our times when Andy Wakefield was taken from us. This was a man who was doing studies that were going to lead to healthier vaccines and better ways to take care of the health of our children. That unfortunately was going to cost a lot of money for the vaccine industry, and they cared a lot more about their industry and their money than they did about the health of children. There's fraud taking place. I don't know where that ends, and I'd really like a lot more reporters to start getting on the story and getting to the the bottom of it. 
It used to be when something like this happened in the media that we would all jump on it. When a CDC whistleblower, a top scientist from the CDC comes forward and says, hey, we're committing fraud in here, I would have expected every news agency in the world to jump in there and investigate that story. And I'm amazed that this film is the only ones that are looking at it. I've covered this as thoroughly as any story I've ever done as a medical journalist in my life. And the really sad thing is the amount of doctors I've spoken to that say to me, Dell, I know that vaccines are causing autism, but I won't say it on camera because the pharmaceutical industry will destroy my career, just like they did to Andy Wakes. For major news outlets to be telling people, don't go see this movie. I mean, what's next? Are we going to have papers tell us, go out and burn books? This is, this is about freedom of expression. These are about thoughts. We have a real whistleblower at the CDC. I'd like these critics to do their job and look into that story. We need help here. There's a major cover-up going on, and it's affecting millions of children. Big Tree's 10-minute interview was then sliced and diced by ABC News into one short, misleading soundbite used by the network to frame a one-sided hit piece attacking the film, which not one of the reporters had access to at the time. This film is just the truth as we have found it. But the message from the medical community... The contrasts were frightening and once again showed a dangerously controlled and tightly regulated media with an agenda. Moments before the slanted ABC News piece aired, De Niro released a second statement withdrawing the film from Tribeca. The alternative media went to work and immediately pieced together the bigger picture involving the Sloan Foundation and pharmaceutical company ties. With De Niro's statements officially withdrawing the documentary from Tribeca, the threat to the First Amendment, artistic expression, and creative freedom of expression within the film industry was now very real. In an attempt to refocus the public narrative on the safety of vaccines, the mainstream media called on longtime ally and former NBC CEO Robert Wright. After stepping down from NBC, Wright co-founded Autism Speaks after his grandson was diagnosed with autism. The mainstream media, desperate to add legitimacy to its anti-vaccine statements, dispel any link vaccines have to autism and discredit Andrew Wakefield, the creator of the documentary, didn't turn out as planned. Them to get involved. Please help me with this controversy that's come up again in the last couple of days about autism and childhood vaccines. There's a film out now. One of the people behind it is Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who's been widely discredited by scientific studies. But it has people asking the question again, do childhood vaccines cause autism? As a man who's done so much in the effort to educate people, what's the definitive answer? Uh, there is no definitive answer, but we, are, we have not been able to determine that autism is caused by vaccines. However, there are lots of issues having to do with the vaccine safety program that I got into very deeply with, with you know, uh, no agenda. But there, you know, there are $100 million a year that the vaccine court pays out to people from damages with, with vaccines, not specifically autism, but a lot of them. So there's always going to be an issue with vaccines because all vaccines are the same and all people receiving them are different. It appeared Matt Lauer didn't do his research on his guest. Robert Wright's daughter, Katie, had worked to recover her child with the help of Dr. Andrew Wakefield after a long line of willful neglect and vaccine injury that led to her child's autism at the hands of a medically ignorant health care taking immunization orders from the CDC's official schedule. 
He's so much better, thank goodness, because of the treatment, because of Dr. Wakefield and Dr. Kriegsman. But I only wish he could have gotten the help he needed at two yeah. rather than we didn't meet um, Dr. Wakefield and Dr. Kriegsman until he was almost five. And those were three years of hell. Yeah. Days later, the official press conference for the film occurred, and it became clear that the film now symbolized a bigger picture. The mainstream media had painted itself into a corner and was forced to sit and watch as grassroots reporting using real-time social media took control and broke the real story. The hype generated by the week's events had made the film go viral online. Any attempts to censor it only made matters worse. With the public hungry for a front-row seat, tickets were gobbled up eagerly, and showings began to rapidly book around the country. Country. The silence of the CDC and complete absence of government oversight into the agency's corruption has been historically negligent. The burning question in everyone's mind right now is, what information don't they want us to see in this film? This has been censored. In the United States of America, it is now the First Amendment that is under attack. It's moved from a vaccine issue and a civil rights issue to a First Amendment issue. And Americans who may be agnostic or even antagonistic to the notion that vaccines cause autism need to be very, very concerned. And so for the media here, the only thing I have to say is that whatever is said about me, it doesn't matter. Because whatever has happened to me doesn't matter one bit. What happens to these children and to the children of America and the world is what counts. I am irrelevant. So bring it. So yeah, this, you know, it's, it seems like uh, just another example of the the unholy trinity of uh, media, big money corporations and, and government, you know, they're all, you know, they may not have defined meetings where they get together and rub their hands with glee and say that we're going to do evil things, but it, it happens because, you know, profit is, is in play. Um, you know, control is in play, psychological control. Um, and it's, uh, it's very easy uh, to, control the minds of, uh, of the mass population, um, you know, through the media. And so when something like this comes out, that is, you know, even slightly educational, uh, and objective, um, it, of course, from their point of view, it needs to be shot down immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, the point that they're making in that video clip is, is, is very poignant. And basically this has become, you know, it really does reveal the media for what they are, you know, just a, a bullhorn for, uh, you know, po whatever the popular, um, uh, sorry, I'm blanking here, but, you know, it, basically they're, they're just a, a bullhorn for the, 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 the whatever is the, the specific interest of uh, the corporations, you know, that they aren't, you know, the smear campaign, it took no time for all these headlines to come out. I, m I remember I saw one, I think it was, I, I don't remember where it was, but it was something like uh, Robert De Niro is doing a great uh, impersonation of a vaccine nut job mm. or something like that. Like just the smearing, just it, it was immediate. You know, and it, it's like you don't see anything in the mainstream press that actually gives the other side of the story. 
Yeah, I remember. I, th- I thought it was strange because I noticed uh, one day there was an article that um, just in perusing things on Facebook and, and on other sources online, as you know, this the stream of media comes through. One article said Robert De Niro to show controversial anti-vaccine documentary at Tribeca. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, that'll be interesting. And it was literally the next day that it said, you know, vaccine documentary pulled from Tribeca. <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was one day that that took place. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and there was even like- some media thing like d- he's t- doing a disservice mm-hmm. by, by, you know, wanting to present this information. They accused Andy Wakefield of crimes against humanity. It's just so absurd. It's like, <laughs> crimes against humanity is what you guys are doing with this massive conflict of interest. Well, this it's is not like, even like... A, a battle in a larger war, the whole vaccine war. I think eventually, you know, the, the pro-vaccine people and the pharmaceutical companies see that people are moving in the other direction and they're just pulling out all the stops they're doing everything they can to get people back into the fold and i think eventually it's just going to blow up and they're just going to have to vaccinate people by force mm. that's what i think is going to come down to either you know not yeah. physically but like what they're doing with the Stefan family in canada what they're doing in uganda it's going to come <coughs> to that like all over the world yeah I think what yeah, you said it's like is priming. Yeah. yeah. And then the mask is going to be completely off and people are going to see. But I think it might have to come to that. Well, it's, it seems, I mean, if you, I want to say it's a joke, but it's not, it's not funny. It's infuriating, you know, and I maybe, you know, my, my impulse to, to, to laugh is, is like some morbid, you know, whistling past the graveyard kind of thing. Um, but it's like the, the mask is pretty much off. You know, there was this recent thing, too, where and I, I don't want to get off topic too much. But the um, American Pediatric Society had said that uh, they they didn't want breastfeeding to be called natural um, <laughs> because, because because that would incline people uh, to favor natural treatments over pharmaceutical treatments. Oh, um, yeah, I read like, that we, article and it's it's. Yeah. Not even about breastfeeding. It's all pro-vaccine. It's yeah. sorry to interrupt you. I no, just no, no. was so irritated by that. Urgh. Yeah. Urgh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it, we can't call something which is clearly objectively a natural process. We can't call it natural because then you might start to think that natural is good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, oh my God. That, that yeah, is infuriating. Well, May as well and it cre- say that it cre- we cannot be called human beings because we're really guinea pigs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the mask is is uh, is well and truly off, you know. But it, it's uh, the the media does such a good job, and people are so inclined to kind of just uh, take what they're spoon fed, you know. By and large, um, you know, I uh, I don't I don't want to be you know, like mean and, and critical towards people's thinking processes. But it's it's hard not to be when you see that so many people are so easily taken in by this. Yeah. Um, and for, fortunately, there are still a lot of people who see these things and, and, and realize and think that they're ridiculous. Um, but I think, Tiffany, what you said is, is true, that it speaks to a larger struggle 
which is coming to a head now um, between, you know, we, we see these large corporations which are worth billions of dollars. I mean, more money than you could ever spend in like five lifetimes, um, mm. you know, en- enough money to end homelessness, enough money to end world hunger and en- enough money to do so many things that it's, um, you know, we could we could take all of this money that's being used for profit control and domination and basically fix a lot of it. You know, it's not going to fix everything in one day, but it could fix a lot of problems. And yet at the same time, uh, it's being used to, to hurt people, you know, and, uh, and executives and people at the top of these corporations are driving Lamborghinis and they own 10 houses. And, you know, um, I, I don't know their minds. I don't know if they're psychopaths or not, but you know, the, the evidence speaks to the fact that they don't care. They don't give a shit about, about mm-hmm. the people or about the, the actual health of the population and calling it remain willfully ignorant. You know, that, that's, yeah. that's what it often comes down to for me, especially given that, uh, um, the thing about marketing the, the, the vaccines, the same way you do burgers and soda, it kind of like you, when you read that, it's kind of like, you know, these, the, these people, like they, they seem to actually think that they're doing the right thing and they're trying to come up with a kind of a solution to, to these misguided people who, who seem to think that, uh, that their agenda is evil in some way. And it's like, it, 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 yeah, I think that, you know, if you go high enough to the top, you probably do see some psychopathy there for sure. Um, and some people who are really, uh, you know, evil, <laughs> objectively evil. But I think that it's just that, that the, the people who, who kind of aren't able to look at things objectively and can't really think for themselves. And I, I don't want to say that in a, like you said, Jonathan, I don't want to denigrate these people necessarily, but they're just so indoctrinated that they think that they're actually doing the right thing and that the, these people are just kind of misguided and they need to be brought back on track. I think that when you yeah. go well, up I, the levels, like the people who set the policies and who run the health departments, it doesn't even become about vaccines in the long run. It becomes like, a question of power and like how dare these people defy us how dare they Mm. think for themselves and not listen to what we tell them to do so it's not Mm -hmm. really even about the vaccines it's just i don't well they're psychopaths a lot of them but they just cannot bear that people would not do what they tell them to do Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with Mm -hmm. tiffany i think you know and we've said this on the show before the fact that anti-vaxxers are such a minimal percentage just speaks to a larger agenda you know like what is three percent five percent seven percent that's nothing that how could i mean we've watched this happen uh, through sot working on sot for years we've watched it just explode into this huge issue you know what i mean and for such a small amount of people that are against it well now it's just blowing up and, and i agree with tiffany i think it, the mandatory, whatever it is, even if it's not vaccines, if it's drugs, if it's pesticides, chemicals, whatever it is, this is this complete inundation on all they're levels. Not, yeah, they're not respecting like our right not to associate with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no one can escape. The farmer doesn't want 3% of his cattle wandering off somewhere. He's got to keep them all <laughs> pinned together. They cannot get away. Mm. Do we have well, any good news? <laughs> <laughs> we do, yes. Do we have good news? Can we can we talk yeah. about something different? No. Oh wait, wait that wait that's but before before we get to something different. No, no. <laughs> there, is this, 
there is just one thing that I mean, it, it, it might make the listeners have a bit of a laugh. Actually, it is quite funny, but um, it's quite depressing at the same time. And I'd just like to just to mention it just before we get onto the good stuff, if that's okay with you guys. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. So apparently, um, California. Uh, according to the Associated Press in California, um, California plans to delay state-required warnings on metal cans lined with the chemical BPA, according, um, arguing that two, two specific warnings could scare stores and shoppers in poor neighborhoods away from some of the only fruits and vegetables available, canned ones. So basically, what's happening is... is um, there's in California, um, there was going to be like this, um, this sort of new legislation saying that, um, they, they should, they should label on the canned food. They should label whether it, it contained B, BPA or not. And, um, and what California have basically said is that, um, they're not going to label this canned food mainly for the reason that it would scare people away from buying the canned food. And so what they're going to do instead is they're going to put a warning sign at the front of the store um, saying that some of the cans have BPA. Yeah. But they're not actually going to tell you which ones. So I don't <laughs> understand the logic behind that. Um, I just thought that was really quite um, insane. <laughs> I understood. I understand that they have one ear now to come up with a way to put a warning label that it's not so scary. They have one ear. <laughs> it's all scary. <laughs> that that seems more scary to me. That's like saying you know you're going to go into this house and there's a monster in one of the closets, but we're not going to tell you which one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one year we'll tell you which one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's almost more unsettling. I'd rather just I'd rather see a big skull and crossbones on the one can so I can avoid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of like the yeah. GMO labeling that uh, a bunch of companies are jumping on the bandwagon, like Mars, the candy bar maker, <laughs> Kellogg's, ConAgra and- Foods, General Mills. They all said that they're and gonna, Campbell's and Campbell's. <laughs> they're going to try and comply with Vermont's law to label GMOs on their foods. And mm. there's still like a federal law. It got, I think it got shot down at first, so it's coming back up to be reconsidered. So all these companies say they're going to now start labeling their foods ahead of that. But the federal law might be passed and it might forbid companies from labeling GMOs on their food. So what's the story behind that? Like, are they doing it just to say, you know, just to win people over to their products? Like, we really care about you. We're going to label. And meanwhile, all of these companies still claim that GMO foods are safe. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, think, I, I think we're going to see a, 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 um, a simultaneous uptick in the pro GMO marketing. If, if they're going to actually be forced to label their products, there's no way they're going to let that go without, without battling it, you know, in some form of media. Yeah. Well, even the press releases from these companies that are agreeing to label. And I think that the, the whole thing there is just that they don't want to lose that market of Vermont. So that they, they, they would rather comply on that level 
And uh, I'm sure they crunched the numbers and said, oh, you know, we won't we won't uh, take too much of a hit on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it, it, it obviously they've crunched the numbers on it. And uh, they, they even say in their press releases that um, there's we, we don't believe that GMO foods are harmful, but we will label them. Yeah. So is that quasi good news? <laughs> yeah. I mean, GMOs are still here and they're not going anywhere, but, you know, I don't think well, that's well, the question. Is, it lures uh, consumers into complacency. Oh, GMO. And, I, you know, if you just inundate them with so much information, they just can't deal with it and like, oh, forget it. I'm not even going to worry about it. Right. Yeah. A large yeah, well, number I mean, I of people are just really not going to care. Well, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Like, the question is, when you've got your, you know, average uh, Joe kind of in the grocery store, and they're looking at the uh, at the the products, and they say, "Oh, this one contains GMOs." Like, what are they what are they faced with there? Do I want to eat my favorite breakfast cereal, or do I want to give it up because it says it has GMOs in it? I think the vast majority of people are just going to be like, "Meh, you got to die of something." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the mindset a lot of people have. Like, they don't want to give up non-GMO foods that contribute to their diabetes. And they have, mm. like, you know, a physical ailment. A lot of people, you know, they feel fine. They just walk around. They're not, you know, suffering, obviously, from any kind of sickness. A lot of people just don't care. <laughs> no, even if they are, though. There was that recent yeah. uh, death of a, of a rapper, Fife, um, who was a, a member of a Tribe Called Quest, um, who just died of diabetes. Mm-hmm. And apparently the guy was a sugar like fanatic and yeah. he just couldn't give it up. He'd be saying things like, I know this is bad for me, but I just need it. You know, it's, 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 you know, I, I, and I think that mentality is pretty, pretty prevalent. It's kind of like, I know that this is bad for me, but I'm unwilling to give it up. That is true. Even if you have like, if, if you're at the end stage of some terrible disease, it's like, well, Got to die of something. There's some kind of cognitive dissonance there that people just mm-hmm. won't kind of, they won't go there. They won't be like, I can help myself by not doing this. It's like they won't, don't even want to address that issue. Mm. Yeah, I think for the people who really have it together diet-wise, it's not really going to affect them much. No. For the people who eat their food, that food anyway, it's not going to make a difference, I don't think. No. I mean, you know, how many people who are concerned about their health are eating Mars bars, right? Is it going to really affect who's like, you know, oh, Mars bars have GMO ingredients. Like anybody who's already reaching for the Mars bar is going to be completely unaffected by that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Maybe. Oh, go go ahead, Gabby. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna bring more more bad news and, and thunderclouds. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, Jonathan, that was good news ish. Ish. I was wondering if if Zoya had some good news. Yeah, that's uh, we're we're at a good time uh, to do that. So let's let's go to Zoya's pet health segment for today, uh, and we will uh, we'll come back after this. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I would like to share with you a very interesting and insightful talk by Dr. Karen Becker about the danger of feeding your pets like cats and dogs with a vegetarian diet. 
Dr. Becker also clarifies various misconceptions regarding nutrition, digestive abilities of a furry family members, and more. It's important to note that vegetarian diet holds many dangers for biped animals as well, meaning us. Just search previous thought radio shows for an interesting discussion on the topic. But now let's talk about our beloved pets. Here's Dr. Karen Becker. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today I want to talk to you about the dangerous practice that seems to be growing in popularity. It's feeding dogs and cats a vegan or vegetarian diet. Now, I'm a vegetarian, and many of my clients and pet-loving friends and associates also don't eat meat or any animal products. And many people make the switch after learning about the realities of factory farming, especially the inhumane treatment of food animals. So I certainly understand and appreciate the personal decision many people make to adopt their vegan or vegetarian lifestyle. Um, if you are going to eat meat, I also really appreciate the fact that you can recognize the difference between factory farmed animals and the happy, healthy life of a free-range animal that is able to move their body outside and have access to sunlight and have a really happy life prior to death. So if you do eat meat, hopefully you're eating happy, healthy uh, animals that had a good life prior to death. That would be my next best choice. What I will never understand, though, is why many vegans and vegetarians think it's okay to force their personal viewpoints their personal dietary choices onto their dog or cat. Humans, homo sapiens, are omnivores, meaning our bodies can digest plant material uh, and animal tissues both. Dogs and cats are carnivores, which means they are meat eaters and they don't digest plant material very efficiently at all. Dogs are scavenging carnivores and kitties are obligate carnivores. And nature designed the bodies of carnivores to thrive on nutrients provided by animal flesh and organ meat. Cats are obligate carnivores, which means they must eat meat to sustain life. And as scavenging carnivores, dogs can survive on plant material, but they'll never thrive on plant material alone. Nature has provided uh, meat eaters uh, the evolutionary design to need to consume that to be able to thrive and really not only unlock a healing potential, but to provide all the raw materials for their bodies to function optimally. And surviving means just that, that they can get by by consuming some plant material or an abundance of plant material, or in this situation, all plant material, but they will never healthfully live a long lifespan as they should, and they will have medical and degenerative conditions along the way. To thrive means to grow rigorously or to flourish, which doesn't happen when you feed carnivores as vegetarians or vice versa. If you make a vegetarian animal, let's say a rabbit, into a, uh, into a carnivore, it's interesting because some species, um, you're able to nutritionally abuse them more. Some animals are incredibly delicate. Let's take hummingbirds, for instance. If you were to force a hummingbird to eat anything other than nectar, within 24 hours, that animal just dies. It's very apparent. You can't do that. Dogs and cats are super resilient. They're really strong animals. So you actually can nutritionally abuse them, and they don't die instantaneously. Their bodies degenerate over time, but because they can withstand nutritional abuse, it doesn't make it okay to do it, in my opinion. Unfortunately, many people assume that since dogs aren't strict carnivores like cats are, that they can easily transition their dog to a vegetarian or even a vegan diet. In fact, I often hear dogs referred to as omnivores, which simply isn't correct. Dogs' taxonomic classification is Canis lupus. They are in the same family as their cousins, the gray wolves. Just because a dog manages to stay alive on plant-based foods or plant-based diets doesn't make him an omnivore. What research does show is that if dogs are fed a grain-based diet for decades, 
over time, they do develop the adaptations for processing starch in their diet. This is called an evolutionary adaptation. And thank goodness, actually, these adaptations do occur. If animals didn't adapt to their environment or inappropriate food sources or diets that they're forced to eat, they would actually just die. They'd go extinct. So the good news is dogs can upregulate their amylase production, which is the digestive enzyme necessary to process starch. If you feed a dog a starch-based diet for several generations, they're going to produce more amylase, but that doesn't make it species correct or biologically appropriate to do so. Your dog or cat has the teeth, jaws, digestion, and the palate of a carnivore. An animal's teeth are specifically adapted for the food that they were born to eat. Your pet's teeth are designed to rip and tear and shear flesh off of bone. The molars are very pointed. They're not flat. So human molars, humans are omnivores, have large flat molars because they're designed to grind up plant matter. Same with other vegetarian species. If you look at all vegetarian species like cows, they have incredibly whole sets of big, wide, flat molars really used to masticate plant matter. Think for a moment about black bears, which are also omnivores. They actually have both sharp pointed teeth in the front of their mouth for ripping and tearing flesh, but they also have large, wide, flat molars in the back of their mouth for consuming plant-based material. Your dog and cat do not have any flat molars because nature didn't design for them to consume an abundance of grains or eat a plant-based diet exclusively. Your pet also has powerful jaw and neck muscles that aid in the pulling down and consuming of prey. The jaws are able to be opened very, very wide and accommodate whole chunks of meat and bone. And your dogs and cats' mouths only move one way, like a hinged jaw. This action, lateral mandibular swing, if, we're, if you as a species are able to do that, you were designed to consume probably either a vegetarian diet or an omnivorous diet. But dogs and cats, being carnivores, they don't have the side-to-side motion necessary to grind grasses and grains. In contrast, omnivores and herbivores have jaws that are that have this lateral mandibular swing or side-to-side motion necessary for grinding plant material, seeds, and grains. Then there's your carnivorous pet stomach, which is uh, very uh, acidic. It's very short, and it's really designed to get food in and out because dogs and cats consume fresh whole prey, but certainly not clean meat. Dogs don't remove the GI tracts, and they don't remove the dirty parts, and they don't remove the feces out of the colon. When your kitty consumes a whole mouse, they eat the whole mouse, and it's certainly not clean. So they're meant to move meat, organ, and bone through the GI tract very quickly. Plant matter and vegetables need more time to break down in the GI tract, which requires a different and more complex digestive design than your dog or cat's body processes. This is also why vegetarian animals tend to masticate or chew their food over and over and over. Ruminants chew their cud to facilitate improved digestion, which means they chew their food and then they eructate, bring it up, and then they chew it some more. So that term wolf it down came from canis lupus where wolves and dogs were meant to just tear chunks of meat up and get it into their bellies as fast as possible dogs and cats are not amazing masticators or chewers no carnivores really are they actually rip the food off they get it into manageable pieces and then down it goes that's why whole veggies or grains and seeds tend to come out in your dog's feces uh, just as they went in because there's not a whole lot of digestion of those particular food items your pet's stomach isn't equipped to break down seeds or nuts um, very efficiently unless they're ground up. They simply travel through the GI tract intact and, be, and then they're passed out at the end undigested so you can see it coming out. 
Dogs and cats also don't make the necessary enzymes in their saliva to break down the carbs or starches that they could be eating. Omnivores and herbivores make those enzymes, but not carnivores. Because very little to no salivary enzymes exist to process carbs and starches, and because your pet carnivore does not produce cellulase to break down the tough, fibrous plant cell walls, your pet's pancreas, which is designed to produce an abundance of lipase and proteases to process fats and proteins, has to work overtime to manufacture enough amylase to process any grains or starch that could be found in the diet. Over time, the extra strain on the pancreas can compromise its ability to function properly. Sure, all wild dogs and many wild cats have absolutely been documented to consume a little grass. Wolves and coyotes have been documented to eat actually an abundance of berries or plant-based material that's seasonally available, and especially if they're starving. And because the intake of fibrous plant material is kind of up and down, and because usually it's less than 20% of their diet, the pancreas can easily keep up with this minimal intake, no problem. Dogs and cats did not evolve to eat a 100% carbohydrate-based diet, so feeding them this way would be very biologically stressful. Your pet also doesn't produce the strains of gut bacteria necessary to break down cellulose and starch within the plant matter. This means your carnivore's ability to use plant matter as an amazing energy source is limited. Most dogs and cats don't care for the taste of vegetarian pet foods, which makes sense because they're carnivores. The reason dogs and cats are willing to eat a primarily grain-based commercial pet food or a vegan commercial pet food is because they're mostly well-seasoned with flavor enhancers after processing. So after the kibble is produced, uh, it's sprayed with a palatability enhancer or a top coat to trick the pets into eating them. There are also meat and poultry-flavored digests that can be sprayed on that are made of animal byproducts, which means even though it could be a vegan pet food within the product, what's sprayed on the top is oftentimes not necessarily vegan. Ironically, adding one of those digests to the top of the food doesn't make that food any more nutritious as well, so it just tricks uh, the animal into eating a not biologically appropriate food. So even though the dogs could be duped into eating it, they're still not being nourished in a way that is going to be sustainable to their long-term overall well-being. Hi, this is Dr. Karen Becker, and this is part two of why dogs and cats should not be fed vegan or vegetarian diets. Dogs require 22 essential amino acids to handle all of their metabolic and energy needs, but their bodies only produce 12 of the 22. The other 10 must come from the food that they eat. Because the canine digestive tract is short and simple, it doesn't produce the enormous amounts of amino acids that herbivores do, which is why your dog must obtain preformed amino acids directly from his or her diet. The protein you feed your dog should be a wide spectrum of amino acids to be able to meet this need. The protein sources with wide spectrum amino acid profiles include beef, bison, chicken, eggs, fish, lamb, rabbit, turkey, goat, venison, and elk. Protein is a crucial component of every cell of your dog's and cat's bodies. Essential amino acids from high-quality animal protein build healthy cells, healthy organs, muscles, as well as provide enzyme and hormone requirements. The fat in your dog's diet provides energy. It's critical for the absorption of certain vitamins, and it also provides essential fatty acids. Fatty acids from animal sources are important for healing, normal cell membrane synthesis, reproduction, and healthy skin and coat. Unlike humans, dogs and cats lack the enzymes necessary to convert vegetable sources of omega-3 essential fatty acids, like ALA, into adequate amounts of DHA and EPA. 
So dogs and cats on a vegetarian diet are DHA and EPA deficient, which leads to a host of inflammatory and other degenerative issues later on. I strongly believe that the sources of fat and protein for pet carnivores should come from ethically raised whole food sources. In the case of vegetarian and vegan diets, the amino acids, vitamins, and minerals must be supplemented and come from synthetic or lab-created sources, which in my opinion is not ideal because it's not whole foods. The quality of protein you feed your dog and cat is also very important, and we know that the high-quality flesh meats are easier for your pet to digest, absorb, and use properly. I strongly advise people to avoid non-meat sources of protein for carnivores, including soy and corn, as not only are they not species appropriate, but they're also usually genetically modified and can have pesticide issues uh, involved with the production of those particular food items. As I mentioned earlier, cats are obligate carnivores. Obligate means by necessity or by biological appropriateness, they have to eat meat to survive. The protein in animal tissue has a complete amino acid profile. Plant proteins do not contain all of the amino acids critical for the health of obligate carnivores. As kitties have zero capacity to turn plant proteins into the missing pieces needed for a complete amino acid profile. One of the amino acids missing in plants is taurine, which is found in animal muscle meat, and in particular, heart and liver tissues. Taurine deficiency causes serious health problems in kitties, including cardiovascular disease and blindness. Neither cats nor dogs make vitamin D in their skin from sunlight, so it needs to come from their diet. The vitamin D needs to be vitamin D3, which comes from animal sources, not vitamin D2, which comes from plant-based sources. Dogs can use D2 to some extent, but cats cannot at all. They have to get D3 in their diet. The risks of feeding dogs and cats a vegetarian or vegan diet include inadequate total protein intake, imbalances of certain amino acids such as taurine and L-carnitine, or essential fatty acids, in particular arachidonic acid for cats. The deficiency in vitamins and minerals, such as the B vitamins, calcium, phosphorus, and iron, uh, will also occur, as those nutrients are obtained ideally or only through meat and other animal products that are absorbable for cats and dogs. If allowed to continue long enough, these nutrient deficiencies can lead to serious and sometimes irreversible medical conditions. Occasionally, veterinarians will prescribe a vegan diet for a temporary allergy elimination dietary trial. And although this is never my approach, for a month or two, this is not going to cause overall damage to an adult animal. If your vet is suspicious of a protein sensitivity, I suggest you consider completing Dr. Dodd's NutriScan saliva test to highlight what foods your pet should avoid or what foods you could wean them onto that would be more acceptable. Other than attempting to identify food allergies, the vast majority of conventional and holistic veterinarians do not advocate or support feeding carnivores as vegetarians. I made this video because passionate vegetarians or vegans oftentimes feel otherwise. They really want their carnivorous animal to uh, become a vegan or vegetarian. I regularly get calls from potential new clients that hear I am a vegetarian veterinarian and believe that I will be supportive of their desire to transition their carnivores onto a vegetarian diet. And yes, they are sad to find out that I'm not supportive of this. Most importantly, many veterinarians, including myself, have met many clients that say, well, I've been feeding my dog as a vegan for two years and she appears to be doing great, only to see them several years later for preventable degenerative diseases, including type 2 diabetes from too many carbohydrates, 
heart failure from lack of amino acids, and really substantial musculoskeletal problems from trace mineral uh, nutritional deficiencies. Most pet owners who force their carnivorous companion animals to eat meat-free diets are placing their personal beliefs in a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle ahead of their pet's physiologic requirement for a meat-based diet. My vegan friend, Megan, um, didn't like it when I would use the term force with her. So uh, I told her by default she could offer her dog two options, and this is the most humane way to do it. A fresh, species-appropriate, ethically raised meat-based diet, or a fresh, vegan-based diet, and then see which one her dog ate. She said, I don't like the fact that you're saying the term force. So my my suggestion would be to do a buffet and offer your dog a species-appropriate meat-based diet and a species-appropriate vegan diet, and then let your dog decide. Obviously, you'll know what dogs will pick. So here are my concluding comments, which, in my opinion, is a little bit of common sense. If your personal eating habits or philosophy are so strong that everyone in your family must abide by them, then I'm going to encourage you to pick a species to care for whose God-given dietary requirements are very similar and line up with yours. Pushing a personal nutritional philosophy on another species that doesn't have the same biologic requirements isn't ethical. So on the flip side, if you're a gung-ho carnivore or you're really into the paleo diet and that's your personal choice, that's wonderful. But then forcing a paleo lifestyle onto a pet rabbit who's a vegan by nature to do the Atkins thing, well, it's not fair to the rabbit. You don't get a pet snake and be angry that it's not eating salad. If you can't bear the thought of feeding meat to a meat-eating animal, then please choose to care for a vegetarian pet whose nutritional needs align with your personal eating habits. Done. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost shocking that that kind of thing needs to be laid out. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You'd assume it's yeah. just common sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Zoya. That was very good and very well spoken by Dr. Becker. Mm-hmm. But I agree with Doug. You know, it, it is. it does seem kind of sad that it needs to be laid out, but, you know, apparently it does. For some people, so yeah, that's how attached you, people are to their silly beliefs, I guess. So we're having connection problems. Mm. <laughs> Don't let your lard get over three hundred seventy-five degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Recap. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the summary. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wonder if we're having so, uh, these problems, if we should just maybe wrap it up and uh, maybe share this next time. Sure. That sounds good to me. Yeah. So, Praise the um, Lord. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody can can look up deep frying this week and, and try to deep fry some bacon, and then we'll, we'll loop back around to that next week. That's your homework. Um, yes. Yeah. That's your homework. <laughs> I like my homework. <laughs> Bacon. All right, so I guess just uh, wrapping up, let's say uh, thanks to our chatters for participating today and to everybody for listening. Um, uh, Thanks to the crew there for staying on top of the the connection issues and actually bringing us back so we could wrap it up. Um, And uh, screw you to the the cyber (laughs) attackers who took us down. (laughs) Evil GSK. Yeah. (laughs) 
So we, we'll be uh, we'll be back next week. Make sure to uh, check out radio.sat.net for the other two shows, uh, The Truth Perspective, which will be on tomorrow, and Behind the Headlines, which will be on Sunday. And uh, if you visit radio.sat.net, the times uh, will the accurate times will be posted there, uh, no matter what your time zone. So do check that out. So thanks again, everybody, and we will see you next Friday. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.